Good morning. Morning. Oh, blessed Lunar New Year. Last week I wasn't here. I was Balik Kampung, back home. So those of you who are, I missed, uh, blessed uh, Lunar New Year for you. We're going to embark on a new series. It's based on a book by uh, a senior pastor, uh, Daniel Fu of uh, Bethesda Badot Tampanis uh, Church. It's another brethren church. He wrote a book called Victorious Living, Running Horses. Basically, it's, um, it's going through significant place in the, uh, in the land of he- uh, Israel. These places were selected because there were time there were two prophets there, Elijah as well as Elisha, before he handed over the, the work there. And then he, Elijah, which is the senior one, he brought Elisha, the junior one, to four different places. First is Gilgal, uh, and then Bethel, as well as uh, Jericho and Jordan. It's taken from 2 Kings 2. If you look at 2 Kings 2, you'll see all these four places. And these four places mark very significant um, history in, uh, in the land of pe- people of God. And also, it seems to point towards certain aspect of our Christian life that we can learn together. And we can draw some lessons to help us in our Christian walk. So we'll be covering these four uh, places. I will start off with Gilgal, brokenness, then uh, we'll go on with Bethel, encounter with God, as well as Jericho, tearing down strongholds. And then Jordan, the river Jordan, how we serve God out of the overflowing of our walk with God. So today, we will talk about brokenness, brokenness in uh, Gilgal. Sometimes, uh, I'm not sure, I wonder, maybe perhaps you also wonder, why certain people, including myself, stagnate in our walk with God? We're excited about God. I come to the certain point, we seem to stagnate in our walk with God. And then Christianity became the same old, same old, same old, same old. Nothing, no progress. Maybe there could be issues, we're not sure, but we, we realize that we desire something more. What is that something more? Maybe God is already showing to us areas in our life that He wants to deal with. We are ignoring it or we are totally just oblivious to it. But today, we're going to look at it and see how God can use circumstances, situations to confront us with situations in our life that can hinder our progress in Him. And hopefully, we can learn together in this area. People to the centuries have been um, thinking about revival, a victorious Christian life. I read a story way back, uh, perhaps a century ago, in, the, in Scotland. It's called the Isles of uh, Lewis there, at the off coast of Scotland. So the leaders there are very concerned for the young people because they seem to be, don't have interest in spiritual matters. They scorn on things of God. So they decided to come together to pray. So for 18 months, one and a half year, they come together to church to pray. They pray for three times a week. And then they pray through the night into the morning. They pray, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then one night, a young deacon, he got up. He said that, let me read to you in Psalms 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall dwell in the holy place? He who hath clean hands and pure hearts. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. He said that all this prayer seems to be like just sound. 
if, there is, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. So there and then, the young deacon confessed his sin before God and before the congregations. And later on, the people began to confess sins to one another, first of all, to God first. And, then, and within a short period of time, revival took place and the whole island, people turning back to God. And the effect was felt there. And we can learn from this that sometimes there's stagnance, there's indifference because there are issues in our life that we are not willing to deal with. And God is going to help us to deal with these areas. And when God confronts us with this thing, how are we going to respond with this? So we're going to look at you, God, today to see what have God have to say. But, but before that, we're going to give you a, a brief history about Israel so that you understand where this story that we're going to talk about where it falls into the context of God's dealing with His people. See, God created His people, and then He called Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Joseph. They're called the patriarchs, the beginning of the people of God, the Jews. And then they were brought, because of famine, they were brought to Egypt, and they was there for 400 years in slavery. And God brought them out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea into the Promised Land. And then into the promised land, God led them. And in the promised land, they were led by first the judges, the leaders who were leading the people. And then they, they were led by the three kings. The first king is King Saul, which we're going to look at today. Second king, King David. And then the third, Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom was divided into two. The north is called Israel, and the south is called Judah. During this period of the divided kingdoms, there were two prophets, prominent ones. Their name is Elijah and Elisha, which I talked about just now. So this is the context. So we're going to, with this context, we're going to look at this uh, place called Gilgal. Gilgal, many significant things happen in Gilgal. But I'm going to group them into three movements, three movements of God. And how these three movements sometimes can mirror uh, our walk with God also. It starts off with a commencement. There's a calling. There's a new beginning. The people come to know the Lord. People come and people begin their journey with God. They have commencement. And then there is this coronation. For the king, the coronation. For us, it will be like a calling. A calling to a specific things that God has asked us to do. And then there's a confrontation. Uh, I learned this from Edwin. Edwin is very good at all the three C's and three A's and three B's and three G's. So I... I so I, I, I use confrontation. Actually, it's more like unveiling. <laughs> but I want to see. But sometimes it, it is true. There's confrontation where God reveals certain areas in our life, confronts certain conditions of our life, and asks us, what are you going to do about it? We can respond in two ways. We can respond in pride and say, I have no problem with this. This is not an issue. I continue to live my way like King Saul in pride, and then they continue on in stagnant, stagnations, and then with fear. Or you can respond in brokenness, like King David. And later on, we're going to look at a uh, little bit of King David, then we're going to look at Peter. Brokenness, and then there's continuation, and there's security, and there's growth in this area. So Gilgal will fall into this area, and this three movement. We're going to look at it in detail later. Now let's consider this word brokenness. What is brokenness? What does the Bible have to say about brokenness? I'm going to read to you uh, 
three Bible verses here. There are several more, but i just highlight these three. First one, Psalms 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Let's talk about sometimes there are certain things that reach a breaking point that cause us to seek God sincerely, and that's brokenness. And then King David, after he committed sin of adultery, of murder, of lie, and then he come before the Lord with this prayer, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrived heart. O God, you will not despise. There are something in our lives that need to be broken. Pride, sin, self-will, stubbornness, habits. And we're broken and we come before the Lord and God responds with this verse here. God says, I live in a high and holy place and also in him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Those who are broken before him. God responds with his presence. Sometimes when we think about brokenness, sometimes people may think about it in a very negative ways. It's, you think, like, oh, I need to feel so, uh, so contrived, so gloomy, so downcast. I need to be always never smiling, it is not about that. Neither is it about morbid, introspective. Keep on saying, any sin in my life, this one don't have, or that one don't have. It's not about this area. Rather, it is an attitude here. It's a self-will. In a book there by Daniel Fu, he defined it as this. Brokenness is a realization of the corruptions and futility of everything in our lifestyle. Brokenness is the lifestyle. Then Nancy DeMoss, another speaker who regularly writes about this topic of brokenness, she said this, brokenness is a lifestyle of agreeing with God about the true condition of my heart and life as he sees it. In other words, brokenness here, it's about a choice, an act of the will. Not a one-time experience, but a continuous experience of act of the will and say that, God, this is my humble response to you, my obedience to your word, the convictions of your word, the convictions of the Holy Spirit. And I want to come and repent before you and do something about it. This is brokenness. Now let's look at Gilgal. Three movements. The first one will be commencement, the new beginning. The people of God. God, as I mentioned, brought them out of Egypt, they crossed the river Jordan. After the river Jordan, they stopped at that place. Why is that place called? Gilgal. They, they erected the first campsite where they picked up stones from the Jordan River to remember God's deliverance. There at the Gilgal, they built a memorial. And also at Gilgal was the first mass uh, circumcisions of the people of God. It shows that, yes, we are now a sign of a covenant with God. God have a covenant. We are the people of God. So together, there was a mass circumcision. And also, together, they also celebrated the first Passover in Canaan, in the Promised Land. They remember the redemptions of God. So there was a new beginning, commencement. That's the first movement. The second movement, there at Gilgal, 
is the coronations. This is talking, referring more specifically to King Saul. King Saul was crowned as king. Where? Same place, Gilgal. He was crowned as king. But after a while as a king, God began to do something in Saul's life. God confronted uh, Saul about situations in his life. There was a confrontation. In fact, there were two confrontations, two unveiling about the conditions of his heart. And these two unveiling happened where? Gilgal. 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 15. Let's look at the first one. The first one, there was an anxious wait. 1 Samuel chapter 13. At that time, there was a war between Israel and Philistine. Israel was greatly outnumbered. And before the war, the priests as well as prophet Samuel say that um, King Saul, wait for me. Wait for me at Gilgal for seven days. Then I will come and offer sacrifice. Then you start the war. They, King Saul waited and waited and waited waited for seven days. He couldn't take it anymore. And then he decided to play the role of a priest, which at that time was not supposed to be a role he, the king supposed to play. He was supposed to play by uh, Samuel. So he presumptuously offered the burnt sacrifice instead of waiting upon Samuel. He violated the law of God. He violated the instruction given by Samuel. Saul, King Saul's at that time, his anxious heart was unveiled. Saul was forced to confront these questions. Who is the real boss of your life? Who is the real boss of your life? He was forced, but then he refused to admit that he was the real boss. And when he was confronted, he gave excuses. This was the excuse he gave when Samuel confronted him. Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, and you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor. So, I felt compelled. <laughs> not because I chose to, it's just that I bopian. I got no choice. I felt compelled to do it. He gave excuses to offer the sacrifice. Unfortunately for Saul, the judgment came upon him. Samuel said this, you have done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would establish your kingdom over Israel for a long time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. Sounds like a harsh judgment. But he was the first king. He's supposed to set the standard and all these standards have been showed to, to Saul. But he refused to take it seriously. That's the first unveiling, the first confrontations. He responded with pride. He didn't respond with brokenness. The second one, punishing of the Amalekites. Who are the Amalekites? When the people of God were brought from Egypt into the promised land, 
they, they had to pass through the wilderness. And this wilderness time, there was a group of people, Amalekites, they ambushed the people of God from the back. And God said this, you ambush, one day I'm going to deal with you. So after many years, the time come for the judgment. God called uh, King Saul together the, with Israelites to destroy the Amalekites as a, as a judgment. However, King Saul, their instruction was to destroy everything. But King Saul did not, once again, did not obey it. He chose to do it in his own way. He wanted to decide what is right and wrong. His pride got in the way. So, his action, he spared the king. And he spared some animals. He won that freedom. And after that, he feel very proud of himself. I have done this great thing. You know what did King Saul do? King Saul, this is what he go. He did at Mount Carmel. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and meet, went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone down to Carmel. And there he set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. There he honoured himself. He felt that, yes, I have done a great thing. And his pride got and in a way, he made a monument. He went into idolatry. He worshipped who? He worshipped himself. He wanted to look good in the sight of the people. The applause of man to King Saul became the source of his security. The applause of man for King Saul became the source of his security. And when this security is shaken, this was really his God. He refused to move it. And again, Samuel had to confront him. Samuel reached him. When Samuel reached him, uh, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. But Samuel said, What is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldier brought them out from the Amalekite. They spared the best of the sheep. He blamed the soldier and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Samuel see through all this nonsense, excuses of King Saul. Samuel said, enough. Enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord appointed you king over Israel. And he have sent you on a mission saying, go, completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, which war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and did what is evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel, or Saul, King Saul replied, but I did obey. I went on a mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought Agag, their king. Again, he blamed the people. The soldiers, they took the sheep and the cattle. What was best to be devoted to the Lord in order to sacrifice. He added one caveat some more. They want to sacrifice to the Lord. King Saul, if you look at these situations, he's constantly redefining God's command. And he do what seems best in his own eyes. 
rather than what God said. When he was confronted, he claimed oblivious. He denied any wrongdoing. When he was confronted again, he pushed the blame to other people, the soldiers. He claimed that the end justifies the means. The end is what? Worship God. So it's okay. I can worship. I want to worship God so I can do whatever mean it is. The judgment came. He could have responded with brokenness. Instead, he responded with pride. Does the Lord delight in the burnt offering and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divinations and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He had rejected you as king. He has rejected you as king. Samuel, oh sorry, King Saul responded. Against, not with repentance, but with excuses. I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command. I'm afraid of men, so I give in. He gave excuses. Not because of me. It's those men, and I'm very fearful of them. They want to harm me, so I give in to them. I beg you, forgive my sins and come back to me so that I may worship the Lord. On the surface, it looks like he has repented. On the surface, it looks like he repented. He seems to be a broken. But let's read on. What happened? Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the Lord. God has rejected you. And he pleaded again. He replied, I have sinned, but here come the crux of the matter. But honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. So who is God here? Is it the desire, the repentance so that he can worship God or because he wants the honor of men? The honor of men the applause of man becomes his source of security. To him, that is his real God. And God confronted him. His face, the applause was his own, his real God, not Jehovah God, but he did not. And then the kingdom of torn away from Saul. Saul's future as well as his dynasty could have been different if he had responded with brokenness. There were other times later on, though he stayed on as king, other times God continued to confront, unveil the situation of his heart. He refused, he refused, he refused. Later on, unfortunately, Gilgal became a place of center of idolatry. In the book of Hosea, in the book of Amos, mentioned that because there was, un, there was the pride instead of brokenness. So let's recap again. These three movement. There was a commencement, a new beginning, and there was a calling. But there was a confrontation unveiling. Instead of responding with brokenness, he responded with pride. And he stagnated, and there was fear, constant fear in the life of Saul. But let's look at the positive one. King David, briefly, and I'm going to talk about a little bit more detail in the New Testament, Peter. King David, the second king, he committed sin of adultery. He was up there on the, on, the, on the roof. He saw a woman bathing. 
he got excited, he committed adultery, then murder, and then there were lies, and then there was cover-up. And he was, again, God used a prophet, Prophet Nathan, to bring the sin, the, the, his sin before him. And he repented with brokenness. And God restored him. And there was continuation of his uh, kingdom. And there was security. This was the heart that God honors. That's King David. But, but I want to talk right now how a person who responds with brokenness and how we can learn from this person as well as from the Lord Jesus Christ, how God responds to brokenness. That is Peter, the disciples of Jesus. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus. Towards the end, at the last supper time, Jesus warned him, gave him a warning. The warning is there's going to confrontations, it's going to come upon your life. You have begun a new journey with me. You have been called to be my disciples. There's going to be a confrontation. There's going to be unveiling about the conditions of your heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm warning you. Simon, Simon. And guess who is the one who is doing the confrontation? Who is the one who is going to do the unveiling? Satan. Satan sift through, sift all of you as wheat. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. God allowed Satan to do the shifting of uh, Peter's life. And God, here Jesus already warned him. But Peter, pride, he was proud. And he didn't realize the conditions of his heart. And he responded positively in a sense. He said, God, no, I'm ready to go and die for you. I'm ready to go to prison, to death. But Jesus responded to him, I tell you, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. God warned him. And guess what? It happened the next day. When Christ was arrested, then seizing him, Jesus, the people led him and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And there, and some there had kindled a fire. There was a fire there, interesting, in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Peter denied, no, I do not know him. Not just one, not just twice, three times. He was confronted with the condition of his heart. He responded negatively. He denied the Lord three times. But the good news is Peter, instead of responding in pride after that, he responded well. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. He went out and wept bitterly. He was a broken man. He was a broken man. And after Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again from the third day, Peter was one of the first few who met the Lord. There was no mention about the conversations there. I, I believe most probably Peter would have begged for forgiveness. And the Lord had forgiven him. 
Well, that was the first encounter. There was no mention of what happened. We can only speculate. But we have records of the second encounter the Lord had with Peter. They went back to fishing, the fishermen, and they couldn't catch any fish the whole night. Towards the morning, they were catching. Some, there was somebody at the shore there, shouted instruction, why don't you throw your nets to this side? Then he threw the net, and there was a lot of fish. A lot of fish. And that's at that point, they realized that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who was given the instructions. And guess what happened? When they, Peter heard it, he jumped into the water, he swam to the, to the shore, and there at the shore, there was another fire. Remember the first fire, he denied the Lord. The second fire, a fire of restorations. And there waited for him, there was fish on, barbecue fish, as well as some bread. Some bread given to Peter. And Peter come, he responded, not with pride, but with brokenness, he came before the Lord. And God not just restored him, God even gave him a new directions. Feed my, take care of my sheep. Restore back him to the leadership and say, these are some things that you can be doing. Something can be doing. If you look carefully here, beside the fish, there was some other thing, the bread. I feel the bread there is significance because I believe when Peter saw the bread, it reminded him about the Last Supper, the bread. And what did Jesus do at the Last Supper? He took the bread, he broke it, and said, this is my body. It symbolized Christ being broken for us. And the brokenness of Christ results in Peter's restorations. Same way also today. We have break the bread. We remember the Lord's forgiveness. We remember the Lord's restorations. Remember, and then we come with brokenness. We know that God is going to restore us. So my question for us today, some of you, I don't know, where are you in your journey with the Lord in this three movement? Some of you have yet to begin this journey with God. You do not, you have, coming to church, you do not know the Lord. But today, the Lord invites you, come. Come into this new journey. Come and have your sin forgiven. Come and be restored to God. And some of, most of us would have begun this journey. And God have called us also. Called us to do certain roles. Called us to this church. Called us to various places to do various things. And time and again, God is going to confront us. Unveil the conditions of our hearts. Where are you? Who are the real gods in your life? Who are real gods in your life? And when God do that, the question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like King Saul, a lot of excuses, oblivious to it? Or are you going to respond with brokenness? And some of us, after God unveiled like Peter, you fall. You fall. Badly. You, you are at the bottom pit. Questions. When you are there, 
What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to be like King Saul, unrepentant? Or are you going to be like Peter, coming to the Lord, coming to the fire of restoration, coming to the bread, reminding you of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you and say, God, I come, here I am. Restore me again. And God today is in the work of restorations. Just as He had been restoring Peter and David, He's going to restore us today. And this is the God that we come before. And this is the journey to brokenness that God is going to take us through. And some of us may time again ignore. But let me tell you, God is very good. You ignore Him, He say, okay, I leave you to do your own things. You go, you reap the consequences. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you hit the red button, I'm going to appear before you again. Give you another chance. And that moment, how are you going to respond? And God can use many things to confront us. Sometimes God uses temptations. He allowed the temptations just like Peter. Temptations or challenging situations where you are forced to obey or to compromise. Or sometimes God can use situations in our life, unresponsive children, unresponsive relationship, rejection from friends, or even life circumstances that give us the hard knocks, a demotions, a loss of job, a sickness, or a loss of relationships, or some adverse circumstances that will break down our pride and our confidence. Remember, every Jacob there is a Laban, Laban, Every deception, there's someone even more deceiving. God is going to use that not to crush you, but to restore you, to bring you back. And God is in this journey, and He does so gently. I'd like to end with a story mentioned in the book there by Pastor Daniel Fu. He mentioned a story of a businessman. He said this businessman, he accepted the Lord when he was in secondary school. He said at a time, study was tough. He had a hard time concentrating, but he knew God was there. So he began a new journey with the Lord through the student days. And he studied hard, and he worked hard, and he did well in the corporate ladder. And as he absorbed his successes, he began to drift away from God. Career, money, and desires of the world became his God. And he knew that, but it was a slow process he deviated from God. He enjoyed a high status of a finance director as well as chief operating officer. And then come the first confrontation. He speculated a lot in the stock markets. And soon, there was a crash. His debt went down to millions of dollars. But, he said this, my financial loss did not break me. Did not break me. I was able to service the loan because I have my high salary and favor from my boss. God was completely forgotten. First one, he ignored God. And as I mentioned just now, he enjoyed the favor of his bosses. And then came, later on, a misunderstanding, strained relationship with one of the boss. And he was in great stress because job security shaken. He felt lost. At that time, he woke up he realized that God has not forgotten him. God continued to love him when he was down. And he came back, he surrendered his life back to God. He renewed his walk with the Lord. 
but then he discovered that now he had to confront other issues of his life. His work required him to go into nightclubs, to drinks and the company of women. And he has confronted, is he going to continue or is he going to quit? He was in a huge debt and the job market is not as good. He needed a salary. What is he going to do? Finally, he made the right choice. He shifted his God from security in his job to security in God. He made the right choice. He said no. He made a bold step. He quit his job without a job offer. He became an insurance agent and also a property agent. Later on, his, as he studied the book of Ruth, the book of Genesis, God let, somehow God led him into the wine business. So after praying, he went into the wine business. And after some time, God blessed him in his, in his uh, business. Within three years, he cleared his debt. It's a story of a person being confronted, responded not with brokenness first, with pride, but then later on with brokenness. And God restored him. And time and again, God is going to visit us. God has visited me in areas of my life. And I'm learning to be broken before the Lord. But remember, and today, I don't know where are you. Today, maybe you are in the situations where you are confronted with situations where you're going to respond with faith or you're going to respond with your own way. If you are, let me challenge you. Don't respond with your own way. Respond with faith and obedience. But if today you have responded with your own way and God brought you to the right bottom, come back to God. Remember the fire of restorations of fellowship. Remember the bread that represents our Lord who has been broken for you. Come back and let the Lord restore you. Let me invite the musicians to come. I'd like us just to bow our heads. Today, I have two challenges for you. The first one, today you are confronted with the temptations, with the challenging situations. Or even a certain life circumstances where you are at a loss. Questions. Are you going to respond in faith to trust the Lord? Or are you going to respond in your own way? If that's you, let me encourage you today to trust in the Lord, to respond, believing that He is your God, not other things. He is your God. God can use a hard knocks. God can use a challenging situations. If that's you, I want to pray with you. You raise your hand, then you can put it down, and I will pray with you. Anyone? Yes. Yes. Anyone today, God has confronted you 
Unveil your hearts, your situations. Anyone? Yes. Yes. Yes, you can put down your hand. That's the first situation, first challenge. The second challenge is today you are at the right bottom. You are like David. Uh, no, you are like David or you are like Peter. You are blew it. Situations are out of control. You are blew it. And today God wants to restore you. God offers His fire of fellowship. God offers His bread of forgiveness. God offers His hand. If that is you, you put your hand up. And I'm going to pray for you also. Yes. Anyone? Anyone? Let's pray together. Lord, you have seen the hands of those who have been raised. I don't know, Lord, what are you doing in their lives? But you have so-called confronted them, cornered them, showed them, unveiled them about the conditions of your heart. And I want to just pray, pray that God, they will respond in faith because you are the God who died for them. You are the God that is worth following. You are the God who is there for them. You are the God who is their ultimate security. I pray that today you'll give them the courage and the strength to choose you instead of choosing their own way. No more running away. No more running their own way. But they will choose to just surrender and say, God, this is my anxious heart. My anxious heart reveal what is in my heart. And this heart, I want to replace it with you. Father, I pray that today you will help these people whose hands that God have raised and restore them. And those that God who are broken right now, broken by circumstances, broken by situations, broken by their own sin today at the rock bottom, I pray that today you remind them of your fire of fellowship. Remind them of your bread, that you who was broken for us to restore us, that you will come and claim your forgiveness and enjoy. No more pointing finger, no more blaming themselves, but recognizing that as we come with a broken and contrite heart, you are there. You are there to restore. Oh Lord, I pray. Pray that God, you will help us. We thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us rise as we sing this song. This is our God. Your grace, your grace is enough.
for those who would like to continue prayer after the service I invite you to come forward we will pray with you Lord we thank you thank you that you are such a loving and gracious God God you want us to live the life that that is full and abundant a life that is in you a life where we are secure in you Lord, you know the areas in our life that God, we have placed it to replace you. And I pray that God, when you highlight it to us, we will exchange it. Gladly, gladly just leave it to you and let you replace it, let you restore us, let you redeem us, let you bless us again. And we thank you. Thank you that we worship such a great God. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.